MSW Media. All right, all right, all right. The NFL season starts this week. And are we excited or what, Big J. Okerson? Hey, this is Big J. Okerson, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Fly, Eagles, fly. On the road to victory. Fight, fight, fight. Fly, fly Eagles, Eagles, fly. Score a touchdown. touchdown. One, two, One, two, three. Hit him high. Fly. Watch our eagles fly, fly. We're massacring eagles fly on the road to victory. Let's bring it home. E A G L E S spelling. Go. We are ripped. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. Well, this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Welcome to the show. I'm Dan Dunn. And coming up on the program, a little bit, we got David Pryor, who is the owner of Bladnach Distillery in the Scottish Lowlands. We're going to be talking sustainability in the whiskey business. We're going to be talking deliciousness in the whiskey business with Bladnach. Mm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm. We try some of these. He's got a, a, a blend. So Bladnock's known for single malts. They also have a blend called Pure Scott. And I really like it. And we're going to drink it. And we're going to talk about it. Uh, they got Bladnock, by the way. They've got a, an amazing master distiller there named Nick Savage, who was at the McAllen for a long while. And he's over there now. And he's doing that. So, yeah. Scotch. Since Bladnock is known for single malts, I want to tell you about a few single malts, some really good ones out there that you should get. Look, there are many expressions of scotch as there are colors of the wind, as there are angels nipping at every whiskey cast in the Hebrides, as there are snooty grammarians who want to take the fun out of the pursuit of liquor, but not me. I want the fun here, okay? I want to tell you about whiskey single malt scotch that you should try. I mentioned the Macallan. So let's start there. Macallan triple cask matured 18-year-old. It's a legendary single malt. It's, it was n- formerly known as Fine Oak 18-year-old. It's an amalgam of spirits aged in a trio of different oak casks. They got European sherry season cask, American sherry season, and American ex-bourbon cask is what this with this liquid rests in look many brilliant expressions produced by the McCallum, but the triple cask matured 18 in my opinion best exemplifies the the identity of the brand's core range scotch that's exceedingly smooth 
elegant and adorned with disparate tastes that somehow come together in perfect harmony. Oh, harmony. <laughs> the dominant flavors in this whiskey, rich, dark chocolate, dried coconut and orange with subtle notes of vanilla, nutmeg, and you get that, oh, that wood smoke in there. I think it's best enjoyed neat. But you could also do a side of toasted marshmallows dipped in Pedro Jimenez sherry. Yeah, you heard it here first. Now, here's the that's the good news. Bad news is about $300 a bottle. All right. But as I always say, you're worth it. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. Now, if you want to go a little bit or a lot more affordable yet, Right up there in the quality, uh, one. This is one of my go-to scotches, the Balvenie Doublewood, twelve-year-old. Regular listeners to the show, a few episodes back, I ran an old interview that I had done with the 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 great Anthony Bourdain, and we talked about this very whiskey, the Balvenie Doublewood, twelve-year-old. Uh, Tony loved that whiskey. I loved that whiskey. The inimitable David Stewart, who's been at the Balvenie for sixty plus years he's the longest tenured most highly decorated malt master in the scotch business and he's just had his hand in the development of legendary whiskeys at the balvenie from the ton 1401 series the dcs compendium which is a collection of 25 hand-picked casks that he curated but of all the whiskeys that he's made and i I was over there i've gotten i've been fortunate i've been able to hang out with david stewart numerous times and he told me once in scotland of all the whiskeys he's made He's most proud of the Doublewood 12-year-old, which is only $55 a bottle. That's right, $55 a bottle. You can have the whiskey that perhaps the most legendary malt master of all time says is his favorite whiskey. That's a deal. Because it changed the way the industry approached maturation. Stewart was one of the first to, to do that, to age it in two different types of barrels. In this case, American oak and European oak sherry. Now... Virtually every distillery in the world has similarly aged whiskeys in their portfolio, but only one is the true original. That's the Balvenie Doublewood 12-year-old. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Aberlauer is one of my favorite whiskeys as well. Every February, for as far back as anyone can recall, the folks at Aberlauer, which is in Speyside, perhaps the most famous Scotch-producing region, they've been emptying a bottle of whiskey into the River Spey every year in February, to bless the beginning of salmon fishing season. And wouldn't you know it, salmon have never raised an objection, not once. So they have one called, an expression called abunach. It's A apostrophe B-U-N-A-D-H, which is Scotch Gaelic for of the origins. And it's a nod to Aberlauer's founder, James Fleming. It's a full-bodied, creamy expression produced one batch at a time, matured exclusively in first fill Oloroso sherry casks. Oh man, I, I had the other one, I was making the notes, I, I smelled it, you get the mixed spices, praline, citrus zest on the nose, and then on the palate, you just it's a cornucopia. Bright fruit flavor, spiked with ginger, dark chocolate. They bottle it at cask strength, which hovers around 61%, varies slightly from cask to cask. This is truly a game changer in the whiskey world. Aberlauer Abunach, it's $100 a bottle. It has a cult-like following since it was introduced in 1997. Let's see. Oh, 
another one I want to tell you about. And again, on the very affordable side is Talisker 10-Year-Old. This is a briny beauty. Classic island whiskey from the oldest distillery on Skye, which is up, it's an island up in the north north, uh, west part of Scotland. Uh, Talisker Distillery was founded in 1830 on the south shore of Loch Harport. It's a gorgeous area, and it just yields beautiful whiskey. The, no- the nose on this one, the Talisker 10, you're going to get a surge of peat smoke, followed by hints of salty seawater and citrus. The mouthfeel is full-bodied. It's, 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 it's a creamy whiskey. Offers considerable warmth, and I'd say the flavor profile is highlighted by dried fruit, sweetness, smoke, and cereal grains. You get a little pepper. Pepper has a little go there at the end of the back of the tongue, and it produces a long finish. Strikes a balance between sweet and spicy. Talisker 10-year-old is 50 bucks a bottle. Oban 14, O-B-A-N. A lot of people say Oban. It's not. It's pronounced Oban. It's a port town in western Scotland known as the Gateway to the Hebridean Islands. Its eponymous distillery was established in 1794, long time ago. And uh, at Oban, they produce whiskey with a flavor profile that straddles the smoky style of the Scottish islands and the livelier, more toothsome malts that are made in the highlands. Up, 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 up. Oban 14-year-old is 75 bucks a bottle. It's a wee bit oily, quite a bit weighty. It smells like lemons and pears sprinkled with sea salt set atop a table that had recently been on fire. Again, smells like lemons and pears sprinkled with sea salt set atop a table that had recently been set on fire. You can use that if you'd like. What's it taste like? Well, it tastes like dried figs dipped in honey up front. You're going to get that right up front, followed by some oak and malt dryness. This is a whiskey that begs to be paired with oysters and smoked salmon. That's Oban 14-year-old. Give me another one that I just love, the Bamor. Bamor is one of my favorite producers. Uh, located along the shores of Loch Indal, which is on Isla, uh, Bamor holds the distinction of being the oldest licensed distillery on Isla. At, at 15 years old, though, the finest whiskey in the portfolio is just a little pup, a wee pup. So Bamor's centuries-old stone warehouse, the number one vaults, It famously begets whiskey of impeccable balance, complexity, and beauty, and that's all exemplified in the 15-year-old expression, which is $76 a bottle. That's it. Oh, man. You breathe it in, you're just going to delight aromas of toffee and ripe berries and charred oak, and then savor the brininess on the tongue, the taste of pineapple dipped in chocolate seasoned with salt, and of course, the whole blessed deal is enwreathed in Isla's signature smoke, that gorgeous, delicious, scrumptious peat smoke. But more 15-year-old, $76 a bottle. While we're on Isla, we'll stay there. You want to go a little heavier on the peat, you got to go Lagavulin 16-year-old. The most celebrated of the five whiskeys in the Lagavulin range. This is the stuff of legend for Pete's sake. And I'm talking P-E-A-T, of course. The lifeblood of Isla whiskey. There's nary a dram produced on that Scotch Soak Isle that is as peat forward as the Lagavulin 16-year-old which is $90 a bottle. It's a smoke shell. Simple as that. Okay, maybe not so simple. There's a bit of sweetness to this whiskey and some seaweed and bacon notes as well. The mouth feels slightly oily, the juice chewy. It's the spiritual kin of the Shetland sweater. 
stylish, full of texture, and a source of great warmth. Again, Lagavulin, 16-year-old, $90 a bottle. Let me tell you, I mean, you, you want to keep it under $100? bucks. let us right, we'll keep it under $100. Bucks. we will go back to Speyside for the Glenn Farkless 17-year-old. Glenn Farkless can be challenging to pronounce, especially after you've had a dram or two. That's why I'm drinking coffee right now. Mm. But don't let that deter you from going for it. This classic Speyside whiskey is worth twisting the tongue over. Rich, amber-colored, full-flavored and balanced, it develops slowly and it brims with sweet, malty notes and the intensely jammy flavor of Black Mission Fig, a touch of peat smoke, a hint of oak to boot. Oh, boy. It just combines the smoothness of the distillery's younger whiskeys with the depth of the older expressions. 94 bucks a bottle for the Glenn Farkless 17-year-old. All right, let me give you one more. I mean, this is a classic. You should know this one, but the Glenlivet 18, right? Glenlivet master distiller Alan Winchester has made many fantastic whiskeys over the years. None more significant or awarded than the Glenlivet 18-year-old, which goes for about 120 bucks a bottle. Winchester shepherds this expression through several different cast types, including both first and second fill American oak. You're going to get that tropical fruitiness out of that. And then ex-sherry oak, and that gives you a spicy complexity. It's an intense whiskey. Ripe citrus and winter spice flavor. Look, the Glenlivet 18 has garnered virtually every award of note handed out in the spirits industry, and deservedly so. may well be the most complete mask market whiskey of all. But what's that, you say? You don't want to drink scotch. What do you want to try... American-made whiskey, maybe? Perhaps? Well, if you're going to do that, maybe you want to try Rabbit Hole. That's right, Rabbit Hole. Rabbit Hole's unique recipes were created by their founder, guy we've had on this show a couple of times, Kava Zamanian. Love the guy. He and his team at Rabbit Hole spare no expense in making their bourbon and rye. They have their own cooking methods. They use top-of-the-line grains. They never chill filter, and they use barrels that are toasted, charred, and wood-fired. Nobody does this. Nobody does this. Just rabbit hole. And what you end up with is a line of bourbon and rye with these really rich, deep flavors that are unlike anything you've ever tasted. If you want to go visit, the distillery has actually been called an architectural icon of the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. It's that spectacular. Check it out next time you're in Louisville. Rabbit Hole is my go-to for American whiskey. They make bourbon and rye in extremely small batches. We're talking only 15 barrels or less. Oh, I love it so. I love it so. And you're going to love it too, okay? What are you having? It's a question as old as the bartending profession itself. And if you ask me, the answer is Rabbit Hole. Okay, all right. But what if I want to mix my whiskey with something? Mix it. What am I mixing it with? Well, guess what, folks? You ready for some tough love? You want to hear a hard truth? Because I'm going to lay it on you, Bubba. Buy the finest, fanciest, classiest, most expensive spirits in the world to make your craft cocktails at home. But if you use lousy mixers, you're getting a lousy cocktail. You got that? Let's face it. Whipping up cocktails at home can be an expensive hassle we don't always have time to go out and get fruits and veggies and squeeze them and juice them. I don't have the time to do that. I'm too busy watching shows. Ted Lasso, for instance. Love it. That's why my fridge is always, 
always well-stocked with Fresh Victor. Fresh Victor's a line of all-natural, clean-label cocktail mixers brings the magic of master mixologists into your home. All of the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's no artificial anything. The mixers are produced at 100% solar-powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. Not like the time I'm wasting streaming television. Fresh Victor's non-GMO, kosher, gluten-free, cold-pressed. I could go on and on. All right, I will. They feature seven unique blends with contemporary flavors designed to suit any palate. And right now, Fresh Victor's offering a funky fresh deal to my listeners. Simply go to freshvictor.com. Fill up your shopping cart with some great mixers, and at checkout, enter promo code WWD20 WWD20 to get 20% off your order. So if you order $50 worth of mixers, it'll only cost you $40. How's that for a deal? Again, go to FreshVictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, enter promo code WWD20, get 20% off your order, and you can thank me later. Hey everybody, it's Brad Williams and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Because if you're drinking with us, that means you're drinking with friends. You're not an alcoholic. Call your mom. Joining me now is the owner and CEO of Bladnock Distillery, the oldest working Scotch distillery in the Scottish Lowlands and a leader in environmentally conscious whiskey making. Nice to have him on the show, David Pryor. David Morning, Dan. How are you going? It's good morning for you. It's evening for me. You're, you're coming to us from Melbourne, Australia, correct? That's right. Yeah. 10, 10 a.m. here in Melbourne, mate. So no whiskey for me at the moment. So I got to ask you, I got to get this cleared away. My brother lived over there for a while. So is it Melbourne, Melbourne, like in the same people go Melbourne, but then I also hear it pronounced Melbourne. Well, we say Melbourne. 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 It's like, you know, yeah, we've got this way of speaking. It's like the g'day. Every time I hear the U.S. say, Americans say g'day, it's kind of funny. But, yeah, it's Melbourne. Okay, because in the States, you get a lot of people butchering. Yeah, have you been to Melbourne? And it's like, yes, that's right. 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 Just like when the Aussies come here and they say, hey, I want Wilshire Boulevard. No. That's it. (laughs) Well, sure. Uh, Anyway, man, uh, it's great to have you on the show. I want to hear all about what you're doing there, especially I just touched on the environmental stuff, but also just the fact I'm just infinitely fascinated by Scotland and the distillery. I I just love it. It's, It's probably my favorite region in the world to go visit for spirits. And I have to confess, I haven't spent much time down in the lowlands, probably because there's very few distilleries down there, correct? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, Dan, the lowlands, you know, 100 years ago was the primary whiskey producing region of Scotland. And uh, just over time, uh, uh, the story is that as the taxman got more and more wise as to which distilleries were running and how much they were producing, the distilleries started moving further up into the mountains, up into the highlands. And so whiskey production over the past couple of hundred years has moved from the lowlands up to the highlands. Um, but there's still, you know, there's still dozens of distilleries down there um, and a couple of very big ones, of course, like Grants uh, in Gerben, uh, Ockentoshan uh, and a few. And, of course, we were just so lucky to find Bladnock in 2015 with its 200 years of history and, and you know, plenty of stock and all that. So what went, what went into that, David? Were you, was it just simply that you were a Scotch lover 
was it a, was it more on the business decision or this is kind of like the guy that buys the football the, the sports team because he loves sports like did you love whiskey that much that you wanted to have a distillery or did you see that it was a good business idea or both absolutely both so you know i'd come out of my last business was in uh, organic yogurt actually and that had gone really well. We launched in 2011, became the fastest growing organic product in Australia and got bought out in 2014. Uh, we then went off and, and sort of were looking for the next venture. And I wanted to get into something where I could continue to, to build a brand and go on that journey and just loved the fact that with spirits, you could have one, you know, central location and supply the world basically with obviously with dairy and with yogurt. And with food, you're very much geographically constrained to what you can do. So there was that whole attraction, you know, spirits is a wonderful category to be a part of. And then I've just been a whiskey drinker and a scotch lover since I was old enough to drink. It's something that I grew up with, discovered with my father. And, you know, my dad was a businessman and we'd sit together at the end of every week and have a scotch and he'd tell me about his week and I'd tell him about uni. And and so I grew up with this fascination about whiskey. So it was kind of a dream come true, to be honest. It was the ability to continue, a, you know, hopefully a great business journey, but also to bring together this incredible lifelong love of whiskey. Speaking of whiskey, uh, I, on your behalf, David, since it is early morning in Australia, but it's evening here for me in Venice Beach, I will be partaking in a little bit of your Pure Scott blended whiskey and we're going to talk we're going to get into that in a little bit about what you're actually producing at the distillery first i'd like to talk a little bit about the the history of the place i mean it's 1817 it dates all the way back right uh the mcclellan brothers that's how it started if i you tell me if i get any of this wrong and then it's this is a facility that changed hands a lot over the years right and then went dormant as a lot of whiskey you know we talk about this all the time on the show when the whiskey category was in the dumps in the latter, you know, mid to latter part of the 20th century. It went dark for a while and then got resurrected and then you came in. Did I get all that right? Absolutely. Great, great recollection. They started in 1817. The McClellan family, I think, owned it and ran it until about 1920 or 1930 or something. So an incredibly long stretch uh, under one ownership. And then it got bounced around between a lot of the big guys. Inverhouse owned it, Diageo owned it, uh, and they owned it up until about, I think, 1990 when it got sold to a pair of brothers from Northern Ireland, uh, the Armstrong brothers. And I think they came in and were going to develop it and do all sorts of things and probably realised pretty early on, you know, whiskey's a tough category. It's very capital intensive. And I think despite them laying down some great liquids, they reached a point where they said, right, we're just going to run it as a warehousing facility and a bit of a tourist attraction, but they stopped making liquid, I think, in 2008. So we, when we bought it in 2015, there'd been a period of seven years where it just hadn't made any liquid at all. So that was a challenge for us. But really, in many ways, it was a big advantage because I think if there'd been that portfolio and no break in the production, one of the big guys would have snapped it up. But there was enough kind of challenges, I think, with Bladnock that it didn't sell to one of the big guys. You know, it needed to sell to someone like me who could sort of go, okay, there's challenges, but there's probably ways around it later on. Now, you obviously had some stock, right, when you when you got the place. Yeah, yeah, there was plenty of stock. In fact, there was stock portfolio from kind of 
10 years up to 30 years, which we're still balancing. And, and, you know, you'll see what we're releasing at the moment. We've got a range from no age statement blood knocks all the way up to 30-year-old blood knocks. A seminal moment, it would seem to me, in, in the in the company was in 2019, and I want to know how you did this. You managed to lure uh, really one of the, the young geniuses in the business, master distiller Nick Savage, who was at the Macallan, which obviously is one of the best known distilleries in the world. And you you get him and you lure him over to little old to Bladnock. How did you pull that one off? Yeah, well, I definitely don't tell him he's a genius, but he's. <laughs> he's <laughs> He's definitely a very capable man. Look, it was just one of those things, you know, Ian McMillan, who had been running the distillery for me, who was out of ex-Bunnahabhan, who's a very, very good distiller, decided to move on. We went and spoke to a few contacts that we had in Scotland and started having a couple of conversations. And I think Nick was just at a point where he felt he'd sort of had a good journey at, at McAllen, um, you know, McAllen's an incredible brand, but it's also a huge organisation. And I think he felt that he could come in and really help to build and create something that would have his kind of, you know, fingerprints on it, his journey, his vision, as well as mine alongside mine. So probably a much more tangible opportunity for him. And look, being a privately owned business, you can also make a, you know, you can make an offer and a, and a package and a long-term sort of um, opportunity that one of the corporates just can never, never put forward. So I think it was both of those things, Dan, to be honest. It was the ability for him to express himself in an entrepreneurial business, but also the fact that I could make, make an offer pretty irresistible over time. Where is the distillery at? I mean, we say Lola, so you're, are you south of Glasgow, right? Yeah, very much so. We're two hours south. We're the most southern distillery, actually, in in Scotland. So, you know, we're right on the Irish Sea down there. And if you draw a line from us across, you you end up at Newcastle in England. That's how how low down we are. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, as I said, most southerly distillery in Scotland. Galloway is the region. There's Galloway State Forest basically borders uh, Bladnock and our river source, which is the Bladnock River, runs down from the Galloway State Forest. And now, a word from one of our dream sponsors, Peel's Beer, circa 1950s. My name is George. I don't like a beer intended for ladies. I like a light beer, brewed for men. Have a belt of Peel's Honest Beer. Discover a light beer brewed for men. My name is Rita. I don't like a beer intended for ladies. I like a light beer brewed for men. Do have a belt of Peel's Honest Beer. Discover a light beer brewed for men. And now in terms of, I'm sipping the Pure Scott, by the way, which is absolutely delicious. But this is a blended whiskey. Most of your portfolio is single malts, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Bladnock's the traditional single malt which we, you know, as we said before, we, we bought some stock. Ian recast everything that we bought so that we had our own sort of taste profile. We started um, laying down liquid again in 2017. So we've now got four-year-old coming up to five-year-old liquid that we laid down from ourselves that's starting to come through in decent quantities. So we got the range of single malts and then we, we, we launched Pure Scott in 2016 which was our blended whiskey. And it was kind of designed, it was you know, designed to be a, 
a much more younger tasting sort of, you know, almost florally, um, you know, very mixable. Um, I think I think it's a great blend. And, uh, you know, that was launched in 2016 and selling in about a dozen countries with a couple of markets, Israel and Australia, where it's doing it's doing well. So, and so more on the affordable line, side, too, of the of the whiskies that you have in the portfolio. Yeah, that's right. Look, it sits at the sort of mid price of the of the blended. It's not going to compete with a Johnny Red or something, but it's kind of, you know, I think for the, for what you're getting, it's a good priced whiskey. You know, it sells in Australia for about sixty dollars Aussie. What's that? Probably forty five US. I talked earlier about uh, the the environmental consciousness, the sort of your commitment to conservation. You hear this a lot, you know. Now it, it's 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 a hot thing to talk about in the spirits industry now but you've really kind of put your money where your mouth is i mean you you've got the prior family foundation and i looked into that and and just the things that you're doing there to, where did that come from i i know your background your 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 big your surfer your, is that is that come from that is it just come from your your love of nature being out in the ocean that sort of thing but uh because you're really you're really walking the walk here david Oh, thanks, Dan. Really appreciate that. Um, no, absolutely. I think, you know, lifelong sort of love of nature and, and uh, you know, I've been into yoga and meditation and stuff for, you know, pretty much since I was 20 years old. So best part of uh, 25, 30 years and just a real sort of connection with, I suppose, with people, with nature and coming out of selling our last business, we, my wife and I actually made the decision at the time to put, you know, a third of a third of what we took out of the sale into a foundation. So we made a, you know, we made a donation of 35 million or whatever. And that now has given us a foundation where every year we can, you know, we the way the foundations work here is you invest that pool and then you, you know, you you work with different granting partners. So we've just passed the 10 million mark in terms of uh, monies that we've granted over the past four years. And we hope that that foundation will now become a legacy for our daughter. Our daughter's 13. She's a surfer and she's growing up, I hope, with a huge love and connection to the ocean as well. And so it was really just a thing of, it's funny, actually, you know, going back to when we sold 5AM, which was the organic yogurt business, I used to say that it wasn't so much about building a business to sell. It was about my real desire was to actually build a foundation. The only way to build a foundation was to have a sort of decent event of selling a business because otherwise it's so hard to find that sort of opening pool of money to set up a foundation. So it's just kind of been a driver for me for the last 10, 20 years. And, you know, we really feel incredibly privileged that we're able to work primarily in two areas now, one being ocean conservation centred up around the Great Barrier Reef and the other being in Indigenous culture. So they're two areas that I think incredibly close to my heart, an incredible affiliation with Indigenous culture here in Australia, which is, you know, this incredibly old and wise culture with an incredible connection to the land that really is sort of largely still very misunderstood in Australia. And, you know, the Great Barrier Reef, this incredible, you know, global natural asset, which has just been degraded over time. You know, we've got farm runoff coming on up there, from the industrial farming, we've got, you know, warmer ocean waters, obviously, and we've got incredible coral bleaching. You know, there's, by most estimates, half of the reefs in a terrible way and half's doing okay. So we're we're working with Greening Australia and with citizens of the Great Barrier Reef to, you know, just keep that front and centre of of the conversation and 
and something that, yeah, as you know, it's just we just keep doing what we can do as a small sort of, you know, private philanthropist and, and you know, and keeping the ocean front and centre. And you're making whiskey, and on which also helps the world a lot. Uh, what's going on now I, with Pure Scott? I, I see, you know, you're you're using with the packaging. There's no plastic anymore. You've gone from using that, uh, you know, the toxic screen printing to using recyclable labels. Right? There's there's no plastic at all. And and the idea for the company it's overall is to be carbon neutral by 2024. Right? For the distillery. Yep, for the distillery by 2024. Um, the you know the visitor center and all of that already runs on a plastic free basis and we just keep looking at our packaging and trying to refine you know what we can do what we can take out as you said we moved from a screen print um, to a to a sustainable paper label um, you know the glass itself's recyclable so we just keep chipping away um, we're just about to undergo the B Corp process which I'm sure you're familiar with sure my last business was the, one of the very first sort of consumer brands to get B Corp certification in Australia back in 2013. So we've just started that journey with Bladnock and hopefully with, within the next 12 months we'll get the B Corp certification. So, look, you know, I just think, I think with one of those things, it's one of those things I like to say with business, you kind of got to run your business in a way that, you know, lines up with the way you like to live your life. I think if Yeah, but you know what's funny your, when you say that though, David, is let's be honest. They're, you're you're kind of an anomaly. There there's a lot of business people that don't frankly don't give a shit. They they walk they they behave a certain way this way, and I oh I love to go out in nature. I love to do this, and then they run companies that are polluting. It's sad. So it's great to see someone like you doing that. That's actually going. Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to contribute to the degradation of this planet anymore. Just so I can make more money. Because let's face it, right? It's cheaper to not be carbon neutral. It is, but then you know, then you're running you're running your business in a way that doesn't line up with your own personal beliefs. And to me, the cost of doing that far outweighs the cost of the extra cost of doing business in the right way. So you know, I just look at it as a kind of congruence thing. It's my personal vision lines up with our business vision, lines up with you know, even the way we run the business internally, the vision, the values, the behaviors, you know, respect, positivity. They're all these things that sort of filter through the business, you know, that just, it just means that we don't have to kind of run, we're not running two lives, this corporate life and this sort of personal life. They're all lined up and there's this kind of simplicity to it. And we're just, I think in the end that it actually delivers benefits because you're not not going against the tide, you're heading in one direction. Well, you mentioned you have a 13-year-old daughter and we're in a precarious state in the world right now with the environment. I know, you, you, you know, you got to want to be able to look your daughter in the eye and go, hey, we're doing everything we can over here, okay, to, to, to make this thing right. But let's talk about the consumer base. Do you find, are you finding increasingly that's something that is important to the, to the Scotch consumer? Because if, people didn't talk about it much, you know, 10 years ago. But are, are you finding now that that's a driver for people that, that, are, that are buying Bladnock uh, whiskey, that they care about the fact that this is an uh, environmentally sound operation? Look, mate, honestly, I reckon for most consumers it's a nice to have. I think the younger consumers that are coming through into the category are much more socially conscious and environmentally conscious than the older generation. I think that's just a fact. They've just got 
an incredible affiliation and natural connection with the environment and doing the right thing. I think there's many, many, and I'm always saying this not just in business but to our foundation guys as well, don't forget that 80% of people don't give a rats about any of this stuff. They couldn't care less. You're and right. they'll buy it. They want to know how much is the product, how old is it, what's it going to cost me, is it better than the other one? And they really don't care about all that stuff. So, again, I don't think you ever want to fall into the trap from a business person of doing it because you think it's going to lift your, your sales or your brand because at the end of the day, like you said before, it actually costs you a lot of money and organisationally takes up a lot of time and effort. So if you're not fundamentally committed to it, probably a waste of time. I don't think at this stage I could say that it translates to higher sales. So we don't do it because of that. We do it because of all the reasons we discussed before. But I do think, I definitely think there's a general shift definitely in the younger consumers to being a lot more conscious. Talking about the whiskey, I have got in front of me the Pure Scott Signature. That's your sort of base, I guess, for the for the well, there's only two expressions in the pure Scott line, right? There's the signature and then the virgin oak. Yeah, and there's a midnight peach, which hasn't been launched in the US yet, but there's a there's a product that we took and finished in in peated barrels and and just released in Australia, yeah, the midnight peach. And so everybody knows here in the States. If you're looking for the the signature, which is I'm which I'm sipping on right now, which is a, a you know David said it, it, and I mean this in the good way. It's very drinkable, very approachable. It's it's the kind of whiskey that I would recommend to someone that wanted to to familiarize themselves with Bladnock and what they're doing there. Be you probably want to start here if you're you know a whiskey neophyte. As a say, jumping into the twenty-five-year-old or even the seventeen-year-old, which you've got, would you would you agree with that, David? I mean, this is this is going to be it's challenging, but the, it's not going to be overly complex for newer whiskey drinkers. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting, you know. I mean, two of the two of my most favorite people to drink whiskey with my father and my wife, and you know, my wife was a whiskey drinker before she met me, and as I said before, my father's only ever drank scotch. Both out of choice only drink pure Scott. They don't, they're not Bladnock drinkers. They don't like that single malt, you know, very sort of definite flavor of a single malt. They, they're blended whiskey drinkers. And my wife and I used to drink, you know, Johnny Walker Platinum and, and um, Shivas Royal Salute together and all that sort of stuff. So, and my father as well, he likes that sort of more rounded, you know, blended um, taste. So there is a consumer that just loves that. I think blends have got a very bad, na- bad name these well, you're, days. You're absolutely right. You say you, People say that to me all the time, David. Like, well, what are you doing? Like, you, you only drink single malt, right? And I said, because there seems to be a negative connotation to the idea of a blend. Some of the greatest whiskeys coming out of Scotland are blends. Obviously, you brought up Johnny Walker, the most famous, but it's it's all about the execution and the craft of making it. I think people have this really wrong-headed idea that a blend is like the shit that goes into a hot dog. You know, it's all the leftover stuff of the pig. They put it, this is all the leftover whiskey that nobody wants. We're going to put this in a blend. And that's just not true. The whiskeys that are going into these really high quality blends are fantastic whiskeys in their own right. Ian McMillan used to say the art of whiskey making is the blend, is the blending. You know, so but anyway, so that's unfortunately where, like we said, blend, blends have picked up a bad name. But for Charles McLean, I don't know if you know Charles McLean, but he he was actually the guy that designed Pure Scott, 
we went back and forth over almost a two-year period, you know, going through different recipes. And we were using um, Johnny Platinum as a benchmark, a really nice, beautiful whiskey, approachable. And, and that's how we landed with Pure Scott. You know, and as I said, I think, I think it's a wonderful whiskey. And it's, uh, you know, it's different to Bladnock and they're very different consumers. The Pure Scott predates Nick. Did Nick Savage, did he tinker with the, with the blend at all after he came in in 2019? Not with, not with the signature, but the other releases, uh, the Midnight Pete, and we've got a number of sort of um, collaboration where we're doing 300 or 500 cases or a few casts uh, this year under Pure Scott. They're all coming out under Nick's um, guidance. So he's taken control of that brand now. And it's such a shrewd move on your part and, and not to take anything away from Ian at all, but someone like Nick, who I, you know, I know, you know, if, if people would ask me, I don't know, I've met Nick before. I don't know him well, but if people, you know, you talk about, obviously got the old guard, you got the David Stewart's and people like that, but Nick sort of represented probably, the, he'd probably be the preeminent of the younger, uh, the newer generation of master distillers, right? And to have a guy like that come in, does that lend a credibility almost almost right away when you bring a guy like that in? I mean, I think so, Dan. Honestly, mate, I think when when an Australian buys a whiskey distillery in the in the south of Scotland who's got a background in organic yogurt, it's probably easy for the industry to to write it off as a bit of a vanity project. When you then go and sort of invest, you know, twenty million pounds and you you take the master distiller out of Macallan, there's probably a bit more of going, hang on, these guys are probably here for the long haul. You know, they're not just mucking around on the edges. So I definitely think bringing Nick on board was a big sort of strategic move and line. And we also just lined up as people. We sat, we drank a bottle of wine. He'd studied in Melbourne. There was this kind of connection, you know, Aussies and Poms, he's English actually, he's from Manchester. We get on well, we talk about the cricket. There's lots of different things to Nick and I that sort of work. And, you know, he played sport at a pretty high level. I mean, we just got to, we got this sort of sort of connection. Then coming out of McAllen, of course, there was this whole thing about, you know, McAllen's very much on that, you know, it's a, it's a luxury brand. And I think Bladnock, the way Bladnock's positioned, being a, a producer of small amounts of very high quality whiskey, in many ways is on that journey too, where, where you know, Nick often says Bladnock is where McAllen was in the late 80s or something. That's the journey that we're going through. So I think to have him there, you know, with all that sort of history of McAllen was a, was a really great, you know, look, it was a great addition to our team. He's been wonderful for the team. And again, I, I can't recommend the pure Scott more highly to everybody out there, but as David touched on, if you want to, you want to get a little frisky, you're feeling a little frisky, you want to check out some of the other whiskeys in the Bladnock portfolio. You've got a, a Talia 25 year old, right? I have not had that myself. I'm assuming David, you've got a bottle headed my way, right? It's uh yeah. Right. I'm yeah. surprised the girls didn't get it to you. That's a, it's only, a it's only almost $600 <laughs> a bottle. I think I'm worth it. Uh, and then you've got the 17 year old, which I really want to try. Uh, at about $108 a bottle. The Adela 15-year-old, which I, I read, I did some reading on it, and it just, that seems to be the one that a lot of the serious whiskey drinkers are doing backflips over. Do you have a favorite in the portfolio on the single malt side? We've just released a 14-year-old, which was uh, which is a wonderful drop. I, again, I don't think that's hit the US yet. I'm not sure. It's definitely down in Australia. 
And some of the single cask stuff that Nick's been doing this year or over the last year or two have just been absolutely incredible drops. From that original lot, which was kind of Samsara, which was the no-age statement, Adela, which was notionally a 15 to sort of 17-year-old, and Talia, actually Samsara, funny enough, which was the, the youngest of the three. But for, for me, from a taste profile, just hit, it was kind of this, you know, it had sherry casks, it had bourbon casks in it, and just had this very unique so I, I still think now Bladnock's probably released, I don't know, 15 different, um, you know, expressions, probably still would say Samsara is my favourite. Well, Samsara did some time in California wine cask as well, right? It did, absolutely, yeah. Well, you know, so that's where I live, so. There's so you no, have to try there's that no, one There's well. no point to this. I'm just pointing that out. And uh, anybody <laughs> wants, if anybody wants to pick up the Samsara around the $75 range, the uh, the ten year the Bladnock ten year olds you know maybe sixty five dollars right in there I mean I think for whiskeys of this quality you're you're the price point you can't beat it I'm just digging it. I I don't I can't tell you which one I like better though I mean I'm the signature is so smooth but then this the the virgin oak obviously coming from the oak you're gonna get I'm getting a a bit of spiciness and a little sweetness that are just mingling together and just that. That right way, you know. Sometimes when a whiskey's out of balance, right away you kind of ah, it gets the side of my mouth, and it. Go- but when it's in balance like that, and you just get that perfect mixture of sweet and spice, and I and I think that's what you've what you've got going on here with the with the pure Scott Virgin Oak. And again, everybody, that's fifty bucks. Come on, that's it. No, it's a good drop. The Virgin Oak's forty three percent as well, so slightly higher alcohol content. But you were saying before, Dan, I don't know if this is happening in the US, but there's a lot of Australian distilleries, craft distilleries popping up, incredibly young distilleries, and they're they're releasing, you know, basically two-year-old whiskies, maybe three-year-old, and the prices down here for the, are like 200 bucks they'll sell for, and they're selling out in, you know, through online or whatever or through, you know, boutique liquor retailers for, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks. It's just extraordinary. So sometimes we look at, the scotch prices and we go wow you know we're putting out a a 10 year old or a 17 year old at incredibly competitive prices i think i'm I'm glad you mentioned that i do think that the range is really well priced well it it matters david i mean i i do this you know and i read a lot i read a lot of reviews of things and 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 frankly you know a lot of the people that i'm talking to are not necessarily the wealthiest people in the world and and it matters to people how much you're charging for things. I get people all the time. Yeah. They say, oh, what do you think of Pappy Van Winkle? I think it's great if you're fucking rich. Buy yourself a bottle. But if you're not rich, buy a bottle of Maker's Mark. You're barely going to be able to tell the difference. You know what I mean? Like, that's what yeah. I tell people. I go, price matters. And, th- and there are a lot of things, as you know, that go into the pricing of a product that have absolutely nothing to do with the quality of the product. You know, demand obviously is a big thing. Scarcity is a big thing, but the fact that you've got this small sort of smaller brand, uh, that's really reasonably priced, especially the pure Scott. I mean, if you're, if you want to, you know, start getting into Bladnock, start there. And it, and again, it's, it's also a, it's a, it's a whiskey you can feel good about drinking because you're not screwing the world up by drinking it. It's again, they're going carbon neutral with, with, with two years from now, they're going to be there already taking great, a lot of steps towards that. Now, if people want, when we get out of this, uh, hellscape that we're all living in now, uh, there are tours at, at the distillery, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're running tours. We're back in running tours at the moment. We shut down for the best part of the year in Scotland over the past year. They got hit pretty hard with COVID, but they're back up and going. They're running tours every day of the week there. So it's a it's a wonderful tour and, you know, we've got a great team there and, and Nick gets involved in the odd tour, but um, yeah, they're back there. Beautiful visitor centre, which was officially opened by Prince Charles uh, a couple of years back. In fact, the last time I was at the distillery, I haven't been there myself since September 19, which is incredible. Yeah. Well, I, as I mentioned, I, I can't wait to get back to Scotland. I'm putting Bladnock on my, on my itinerary next time I'm back there. It's, it truly is. And, and I say this as someone who's, I've been, you know, fortunate. I've been able to go all over the world visiting distilleries, whether it be at the, in Mexico or the Caribbean or, or all over Europe and Scotland's my favorite place. It's the place I've been more than anywhere else. I think the people are are lovely. I think the passion for whiskey there, you know, the U.S. the U.S. does a nice job. Don't get me wrong. You go to Kentucky, you get it. You know, but I think the passion for for whiskey and the legacy of whiskey, there's no place like Scotland in my in my mind. I totally agree with you, Dan. And that's you know, people say, why didn't you just build a distillery? In Australia, we, you know, there's some good distilleries in, down in Tasmania. I said, you just can't. The Scotch whiskey category, the Scotch whiskey business, the industry over there, it's just unbelievable. 400 years of history. The way they deal with each other, they wel- the way they welcomed me in as an owner, they're just, you know, great people, incredible commitment to this sort of, you know, wonderful product. And even all the strict rules around, you know, Scotch, which people say, isn't that an impediment? That's actually not an impediment at all. That's what's kept Scotch whiskey on this kind of, I think, separate pedestal because you're not allowed to do all these things. You're not allowed to, you know, put additives in. You're not allowed to put staves in. You're not allowed to use, you know, massive barrels. They have to be a certain size. You're not allowed to mix things. You're not allowed to. So all those things, I think, have led to a category that's got incredible resonance, incredible history, and will be around for another 400 years. So, I've loved being a part of it. I love driving around. I love my commute from Glasgow down to Bladnock when I'm there. It's just, uh, as I said, I'm kind of living the dream at the moment. Well, I, uh, I'm glad we got to have you on and, and get to, I get to drink your dream. Uh, personally, I'm going to be having more of this after I get off the air. David Pryor, Bladnock Distillery, Pure Scott is what I'm drinking. It's what you should be drinking and David, I I really mean it. When when things are back up and fully going, at least for me again, I will get to Scotland. I will track you down, and I will jump in your car with you from Glasgow, and we'll go down. We'll take that ride together, and uh, then you'll need a whiskey by the time you get there. At two hours with me in the well, car, too, so, mate. You know, just promise me you won't tell Nick Savage he's a genius when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to have to renegotiate his contract. Dan that's it, that's I'm a genius. It. David, real, it was a real pleasure catching up. I guess it's breakfast time for you. It's, yeah. uh, it's pure Scott time for me. Good on you, Dan. Much appreciated. A book I wrote called Living Loaded was released 10 years ago. It's a book about which the great Sammy Hagar, rock and roll Hall of Famer Sammy Hagar, had to say, Dan Dunn's writing is like kick-ass, balls-to-the-wall rock and roll cranked to ear-bleed levels. Makes you feel great and really pisses off the neighbors. I can drink to that. Thank you, Sammy.
One of the other cool things besides getting celebrity quotes is I, I enlisted a bunch of bartenders to create cocktails tailored to the chapters in the book. And I was so fortunate to have some of the best known bartenders in America participate, one of whom Jeffrey Morgenthaler, Portland, Oregon's own Jeffrey Morgenthaler contributed a drink for, what was it for? It was for chapter eight. Chapter eight was there's enough for everybody, never get too much of it. So Jeffrey's drink and and each person, each bartender also gave me, they wrote a little story to accompany their drink. This is what Jeffrey had to say. Drinking in New Orleans requires the constitution of a warrior. You're up until the wee hours, deep in the knowledge that you'll be starting all over again before you've had more than a few hours to compose yourself. Drinking in New Orleans with Dan Dunn requires a little creativity as he's a hard-charging son-of-a-bitch boozer with a bottomless expense account. I think he was wrong about that, but okay. In order to keep up with Mr. Dunn, whose appetite for trouble seemingly knows no bounds, I found it essential to fortify my belly in the morning. So I came up with this seemingly innocuous libation based on the great-granddaddy of New Orleans breakfast beverages, the Brandy Milk Punch. Dan and I have spent many a morning in bars all over New Orleans, sipping this one in lieu of, say, that case of beer by the pool with the nymphomatic, nymphomaniac bikini models that he's always promising. Now, I don't know. Let me interject. I don't think I promised that, but uh, all right. I don't even know any nymphomaniacs besides myself. Oh, anyway, the drink that Jeffrey created is called the punch in the mouth, and I'd like to share it with you. Get your pen and papers ready. Here's how you make the drink. You're going to need one ounce of bourbon, half an ounce of aged rum, half an ounce of maple syrup, two ounces of half and half, two dashes vanilla extract, cinnamon to taste, and nutmeg to taste. Take all those ingredients, you shake them with ice, and you strain them into an ice-filled old-fashioned glass. Then you dust that drink with cinnamon and nutmeg, and sip in place of anything resembling a nutritious breakfast. The Punch in the Mouth by Jeffrey Morgenthaler, everybody. And that's going to do it for this episode of What We're Drinking. Yeah, that's going to do it. I want to thank David Pryor for coming on. I want to thank all the delicious scotch makers that provided the scotches I ran down earlier in the show. And I want to thank you, of course. I know you got a lot of options out there in podcast world. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm off to Aspen to cover the Aspen Food and Wine Classic, and I will have a full report for you right here on this podcast soon. I encourage you to follow me at The Imbiber on Twitter and Instagram. Also, the podcast has its own Instagram, at WWD underscore podcast. I'm out. Love you.